Thank you, Nick. Well, I want to share a few brief announcements before we hop into our sermon. First, on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and 10.30 a.m., we're having two Scarlet City Kids Zoom classes. They're going to be for pre-K and for lower elementary K through third grade. This is a, it's going to be a fun opportunity. It'll be short, about 15 to 20 minutes. There will be a short teaching, some songs, and uh, a real engaging time and a, and a chance for the kids to see uh, some of their, their peers in the church. And so join us for that. You should have already received an email. If you have not, you can email right now uh, Janelle at scarletcitychurch.org and she can send you the link. Well, also in this, in this challenging season of the pandemic, I'm sure you're aware that the, the cases have been increasing exponentially in central Ohio. And as a result, Franklin County and, and the city of Columbus have, have given a, a advisory for people to stay home. And at Scarlet City Church, we've made the decision to comply by that advisory. And so we're going to be closing our facility for any small groups or large groups from now this weekend until December 18th. Before we were making this available to city groups and other small groups, and, and right now we're not going to be doing that. And it's a hard decision, uh, but it's one we're making after prayer and thought and discussion because we want to prevent the spread of this virus, and we all have a role to play. And our view is shaped by Scripture and what it means to love others and be a good neighbor and recognizing one of the biblical concepts of, of relationships is my decisions and my behavior in affect other people. It can affect them for good or for bad. None of us are just individuals with individual rights living in the world completely detached from others. And so we want to be a place that loves our neighbor in practical ways, and that means sometimes saying no to things we enjoy. And we also want to model healthy submission to governing authorities. And so when they put out an advisory and when they say these are best practices, we want to comply by that. And so we're doing that at Scarlet City, and we take it, we take it seriously. Also, in alignment with that, we're not moving indoors for our worship gathering the remainder of this year. Uh, we're going to continue to evaluate where things are in January, and so, but probably we won't be back then too. So online gathering looks like it might need to be a part of our way of engagement in the foreseeable future. It's, it's not what we want. It's not what we would prefer. And it, we don't think this is going to last forever. We can be praying for vaccines and relief to be coming, but it's where we're at for right now. Now, one of the things I am personally excited about is in this season of Advent, we are changing some of our online content. We're going to shorten it and simplify it and, and try to make it a little more engaging because we see this as an opportunity in this pandemic season. We don't want to rush back to normalcy. We don't want to rush past where God has us right now. And we believe one of the ways God can grow us right now is to bring our faith into our living rooms to see our faith begin to shape our whole life. And in one expression of that, we'll be worshiping in our homes. And so we're going to focus on formation, music, and a shorter message during this Advent season. And so I want to invite you to continue to engage, to engage us next week as we kick off the season of Advent, looking at waiting, living in the tension between the already and not yet. Well, uh, we're going to continue this morning actually bringing to a close our look at 
the real core of Revelation. We're not going to make it to the end of the book today. We're going to pick that back up in the new year, so, so we will get there. Uh, but for now, we draw to a close the real central section of the book of Revelation. And what we've said is that Revelation is not a book about some far-off dystopian uh, end-of-the-world situation and scenario, but it's actually an unveiling of the conflict between evil and God in our present day and age. And Revelation is the last book of the Bible. In the Bible that we, we talked about last week, it is the message of God's renewal of all things. And it, and it hits at that in different genres, from history to letters to prophecy and poetry to apocalyptic literature, which Revelation is, which uses images and symbols to communicate, to awaken our mind and our heart to this beautiful message. And one of the things that the Bible does, and we've said this a lot at Scarlet City, is the Bible primarily it teaches us how to think, not just what to do. The Bible gives us a vision of a lens to view life, a way of thinking and understanding the world. It does not give us the answer to all of life's questions or tell us how to act in, in any given different situation. The Bible teaches us how to think, not just what to do. And that is especially true in the book of Revelation. Remember, we've said this is the unveiling, the revealing, the unveiling of God's work in the world, not so we can just be enlightened by it, but actually so that we can understand the values of God and how to view and interact in the world as it is right now. And this is especially true also in Revelation chapters 12 through 15, where we find ourselves today. In these chapters, it's, it's a, a renewed look, a look at the world as it is from a different angle, specifically unveiling the element of spiritual warfare and the spiritual battle. Have you ever looked at the world and seen examples of of just real chaos and, and bloodshed and, and evil and thought, how can this be? How can this be? How could people, when they were first establishing the United States and, and wrote about equality and human rights and wanted to found a system built on these important, rights and issues, how could they also enslave thousands of people because of the color of their skin? How did they do that? We can look at Nazi Germany and ask, how can a country in the 20th century, a place, Germany, which had many of the brightest philosophers and, and theologians and thinkers of the time, how could that nation exterminate millions of Jews? How can in Rwanda in the 1990s, how can there be a genocide where 800,000 Rwandans from the Tutsi tribe will be killed? Many, not by just some mass government uh, intervention, but from their, their fellow villagers. How can these things happen? Of course, this is just a tip of the iceberg compared to the 
the massive amount of, of human oppression through the generations. And what Revelation does for us in these chapters is it's going to unveil, it's going to peel back, it's going to bring us underneath the real spiritual forces of darkness that lead to widespread human suffering and oppression. And so we're going to look at that really in two ways. First, I want to look at the text and talk about the level of discernment that this brings into our lives, what it unveils for us, what it teaches us about how this evil and suffering happens. And then lastly, I want to offer a few brief and, and short applications for having uh, grown in awareness and discernment. So first, discerning uh, what this text is teaching us about the nature of evil. And here's what we see. Is that Rev Revelation unveils a demonic propaganda machine. It unveils how evil operates on a systemic level. How human suffering can become so widespread. Revelation brings us underneath. Remember, all is not as it seems. And we must be aware of the forces that lead to this widespread human suffering and bloodshed. And there's a few points in here that, that unveil that for us. It speaks of this demonic trinity. First, we're introduced in chapter 12 to the dragon. In, in Revelation 12, there's this battle between a woman who is first in labor pains and then gives birth to a child and a dragon who wants to come and first destroy the child and then when the child escapes, destroy the woman. And the woman is symbolic for God's people. In verse 1, it says, A woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet, and on her head was a crown of, of 12 stars. This is a metaphor, an image describing the people of God. The sun referred to Jacob. Moon was symbolic for Jacob's wife. And the stars were symbolic for the tribes of Israel. There were 12 tribes. Later in Revelation 12, it speaks specifically to the woman representing the people of God, the, the followers of the Lamb. So this woman is representative of God's people. And then we have her child in verse 5. It says, The woman gave birth to a son, a male child, who is going to rule over all the nations with an iron rod. Her child was suddenly caught up to God and to his throne, and she fled into the wilderness where a place had been prepared for her by God so she could be taken care of for 1,260 days. That's three and a half years. Last week we looked at the number three and a half, 42 months, and it's representative of the church age, of Jesus' resurrection until his return. And so this is a metaphor, speaking of that age, between Jesus' resurrection and his return, the church age, and in that, the dragon wages war against God's people. It wants to attack God's people. It wants to destroy God's people. And this is what we learn here. Uh, an element of discernment. Remember, all is not as it seems. This teaches us, it unveils for us, that there is a spiritual battle that Satan is seeking and working to destroy God's people. There is a force of darkness at work in the world that is seeking to undermine and destroy the people of God. That is Satan's primary aim. Now, how does he do it? You know, often when we think of spiritual warfare, we, we think of just maybe 
demonic possession, someone who's exhibiting some frantic behavior. And there certainly can be episodes of that. But the primary means and way in which Satan works is through, actually, through, through human means. And we see this embodied in chapter 13. In chapter 13, we're introduced to two beasts. The first is the beast from the sea. And I'll read our passage in verse 1. Then I saw, this is Revelation 13, verse 1. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, and on its horns were ten diadem crowns, and on its heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast that I saw was like a leopard, but its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's. And the dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and great authority to rule. And so the dragon, Satan himself, is going to work through this beast. Now this beast is a direct connection to Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel 7, the prophet shares a dream in which he experienced four beasts. There's the lion, which represented the Babylonian Empire. There was the bear, which represented the Persian Empire. There was the leopard, which represented the Mede Empire. And there was an indescribable beast, which most likely represented Greece. And this vision to John, John brings all of them together. This is the beast from the sea. The sea was imagery of of human wickedness and systemic oppression. In the Old Testament, Egypt was seen as, as the beast from the sea. And so what we have here is this vision that Satan will use oppressive governments to destroy God's people. You see, when we think of spiritual warfare, spiritual battle, it's not just demonic possession or these, uh, these, these erratic behaviors over here. It's actually systemic oppression. It's governments who are, who, who are behind the scenes. There's a dark forces at work leading governments to persecute the church and to persecute anyone who stands in their way. And we see this now in, in the second beast, how this this persecution persists. In verse 11, we were introduced to the beast from the land. Then I saw another beast come up from the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but was speaking like a dragon. He exercised all the ruling authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and those who inhabit it worship the first beast. You see, the second beast is pointing to the first beast calling people to worship him. And now let's see the means that he does it. The one whose lethal wound had been healed, in verse 13, he performed momentous signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs he was permitted to perform on behalf of the beast, he deceived those who live on the earth. There's widespread deception. Later in Revelation, this second beast of the earth is seen of as the harlot, the The false prophet is another term often used for it. And what we learn here, what we discern here, is that oppressive governments use propaganda and deception to consolidate power and exploit others. We're introduced to this demonic trinity. You have Satan, who is in some ways at odds with God the Father. And Satan gives his authority, or he works through human oppressive regimes and governments 
in much the way, same way that the, God the Father reveals Himself and works through the Son. And then the one who points to those human government regimes is the, this propaganda machine, this false prophet. In their day and age in Rome, there were municipalities and towns and, and cities that, that reinforced Roman oppression and rule. And so they would require inhabitants to worship in the temple. They would require inhabitants to align with these ideologies and values that, that promoted Roman rule. It wasn't always just Rome itself. It didn't have the capacity or power to bring this everywhere. It was, it was all the local leaders in various places that reinforced that centralized rule. In the same way, you have the Father send the Son and the Son send the Spirit to empower people, to incarnate God values and truth. And so we need to be aware of this contrast and this conflict behind human evil and wickedness is this spiritual battle and the spiritual warfare. Now, a few observations we need to make about this propaganda machine because this is one of the main points that that Jesus is communicating to these churches through this pastor, John. He's wanting them to know, again, all is not as it seems. Rome, who holds itself out as bringing peace and flourishing for all, is doing anything but. And the way that they do this is through deception, through propagandizing. Anytime, when we look at history and we see totalitarian regimes and oppressive human empires, what you, will, you will find some common characteristics. And one of those absolutely across-the-board common characteristics is you will find systematic propaganda, the controlling of information and media to perpetuate a particular narrative that reinforces the ideology of the particular empire. I mean, when we look back at the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917 in Russia, one of their first acts was to take over the Russian film industry and to use film to promote communist values and ideologies. We saw this in Nazi Germany. They, they established the Ministry of Public Enlightenment and Propaganda. And interestingly, Hitler himself critiqued uh, what he considered to be British propaganda and saw the power to control people's behavior th through the use of a systematically controlled information for people. And this, for Nazi Germany, was led by Joseph Goebbels. Uh, we saw it in the Yugoslav Wars of the 1990s, where systematic propaganda was used to incite violence among the Serbs against a number of different ethnicities. And thousands of people lost their lives as a result. You see, propaganda is the mass control of communication. It is a means of manipulating people to adhere to one particular view, one particular ideology. Now, what, how is it then expressed? What, what, what does demonic propaganda do? You know, one of the things we see from propaganda if we study history and, and see how it works is that it often reinforces a particular ideology. It, in fact, even one could say worships a particular ideology. It produces and is led by ideologues. 
Now, underneath ideology is this idolatry concept. It's it's the belief, you know, an ideology isn't wrong per se. It's simply a system of thought and, and beliefs in about life and meaning and morality. But an ideologue, what they do is someone who worships an ideology is they begin to police thought. And they equate someone's beliefs, someone's ideology, with a set of morality. And so, you know, it's very right and good for government to uh, punish certain crimes. If you hurt someone, beat someone up, murder someone, their government is put in place to protect against that. But what happens when ideology is worshipped, not only do you police against behavior, but you can police against thought, and now you can lock people up who promote views contrary to your own. That is the danger of the worship of, of ideology. And then that leads to what ideology reinforces is it often reinforces a particular ethnicity, nation, or political camp. So it says, you must line up with us here. Either you must share our ideology, our views of the world, or you must be part of this one religion, or you must be part of this ethnicity, or this nation. And then what they do, because ideology is moral, it, it, um, there is only permission, or it only allows people who promote that ideology. And so this is where you, they don't allow free press. Nazi Germany did not allow the free expression of ideas because it viewed some ideas as morally wrong. So they would not allow it. And often what this exposes is the inability to compete on the market of ideas. You see, if you have a free market idea of ideas, people can bring their views, bring their ideology, bring their, their beliefs into the public sphere and have a debate, have a conversation. But if you are unwilling to do that, it exposes that maybe yours doesn't hold much weight. One of the ways we see that expressed today is cancel culture. On many college campuses, someone who promotes a, a ideology that, that some believe is wrong or morally reprehensible, they're just not allowed to be there. And this isn't good. It's not healthy. We should allow the free expression of idea, ideas. Otherwise, we run the risk of, of having almost a soft authoritarianism, a soft policing of thought in our, in our world. And this ultimately leads to the real problem of ideology and worship of ideology is it, it legitimizes the use of force to oppress people whose views differ from your own. This is the demonic propaganda machine. You know, human governments, they, they often rise thinking they're doing good. But what happens is over time an ideology takes takes place, and then thought is police, and then people legitimizing using force to hurt those who don't align with the ideology of the day. And this is demonic, and it has led to so much widespread human bloodshed around the world. This is what has led to God's people experiencing such great pain. And we see this again expressed in chapter 13, verse 16, the mark of the beast, this one of the most commonly debated and confusing passages in all the Bible. Let's read it. 
In verse 16, it's closing out this, this section on the beast. It says, He also caused everyone, this is the second beast, the false prophet, He caused everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to obtain a mark on their right hand. The right hand symbolizes one's work. And a mark on their forehead, that symbolized their belief. Thus, no one was allowed to buy or sell things unless he bore the mark of the beast. That is his name or his number. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has insight calculate the beast's number, for it is man's number, and his number is 666. Now, 666 could possibly be referring to Nero and, and thus reflecting the human oppression that Nero and Babylon and Rome symbolized. But at the very least, it, it's man's number. It's the number of incompletion. If the number seven is the number of completion and the number of God, number, the number six is the number of man. And that is what the mark of the beast is referring to. It's not a chip. You, you do not need to be worried about getting a chip installed. Um, I mean, you, you can worry about it for other reasons, but not because you're receiving the mark. This is not a literal mark on your hand or forehead. This is representative of human systems that demand human systems that demand alignment and worship of a particular ideology or human government. It requires ultimate allegiance, in this case to Rome, in our day and age today, to a particular nation, particular ideology, particular culture, or people group. If you don't agree, you don't belong. That is the mantra of the demonic propaganda machine. If you do not agree, you do not belong. Now, how do we combat this? I want to be brief. I, I don't have much time. How do we combat this demonic propaganda machine? And, and unfortunately, some Christians and churches are actually promoting it. A few things I want to draw to our attention. First, we need to combat, the, combat this demonic propaganda machine by praying. By praying. We resist this human central tendency by behavior that puts God at the center, that reinforces our need for God, our, our need for the Holy Spirit. In the book of Revelation, prayer is absolutely central. Over and over and over again, we see the cries of the saints, the prayer of God's people, like an aroma making its way to God and God coming and acting in the world. We need to pray. You can combat demonic propaganda by embracing Holy Spirit power. We need God. We need His discernment. We need His wisdom. We need to be people who pray. Also, we combat this demonic propaganda by, and this is very important, by never fearing the truth. Let me say that again. Christians in the church should never fear the truth. We should be people, as our Savior, Jesus says, the truth sets us free. Now, the reason abuse can go on widespread is because people cover it up. And sometimes churches and Christians covering up, covered up because they think they're protecting the name of God if something shady is happening in the church. And that, friends, is demonic. That's propaganda. We should never fear the truth. And this is why we shouldn't 
participate in cancel culture. We should promote the free expression of ideas. And that includes, by the way, history, how we teach about the history of the United States. We should not shy away from the truth, and even, even when that's looking at some of the atrocities of our past. We need to learn from that. We're not afraid of that, but we learn from the mistakes of the past. We don't seek to promote a false narrative that, that elevates our nation or our culture or even our religion. Also, we must resist toxic expressions of power. Resist toxic expressions of power. Power is a part of the world. There are hierarchies and people of certain privilege and power and place, and that is the way it is. You cannot just flatten it all. But the Christian concept, the gospel concept, is God giving of power, power to be used for the flourishing of all. And so we need to, in the church, resist these toxic expressions. A few of them. You have nationalism, this idea that America is the best. <laughs> and, that can, and then you have ethnocentrism, the belief that a particular ethnicity is the best. And this, one of the uh, adherents in Europe and the United States is white supremacy. This idea that to be white is right. And then if, you know, white churches, white theology, white cultural norms, and to look down on minorities and to just think, what's wrong with them? Why don't they get with the program? That, that is toxic, and it hurts people. Another form is toxic masculinity. You know, some of it's expressed. I've seen people mocking a man like Fred Rogers, this, this pillar of society who promoted the equal treatment of all people, especially children, and treated people with such respect and, and honor. And we can look at that and the tone that he uses and some of his behavior and just think, oh, that's weak. <laughs> the idea of masculine, you know, a real man can use force to get what he wants. And that's, that's wrong. That's not Jesus. I I, that is not gospel. We need to resist toxic masculinity. We also need to resist toxic feminism. This idea that all men are, are evil. Right? And, they, and that power only does harm. And, and even another toxic form is, is getting rid of gender. Now, there are some gender stereotypes that shouldn't be perpetuated, but there is differences among gender. And the biblical vision is to complement Men and women sacrificially loving each other. This is the biblical vision of the proper use of power. Another way, again, we're talking about how to combat the, the demonic propaganda machine. We need to be people who advocate for human governments that advance the rights for all people. Promote human governments that advance the rights for all people. Human government is not wicked. Not every... Human form of government is Nazi Germany. Even though in American political discourse, we often see both sides call each other that. Um, some human government rule is much better than others. Now, no human government's perfect. We can acknowledge that. But many can, can operate in ways that protect the rights of other people. And we need to advocate for that form of government. In Revelation chapter, or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 13, the Apostle Paul talks about government being a gift by God, to protect people. And government has that mandate 
to have certain laws to protect people. And as followers of Jesus, we need to advocate for human government that, that promotes the flourishing of all, that protects the rights of others, especially those who cannot protect themselves. We need to advocate for government that protects the rights of the unborn. Advocate for government that protects the rights of minorities and immigrants and, and, and refugees and women, people who historically have been outside of power, who have been oppressed and abused by systems of power. We need to advocate for government to protect their rights. And lastly, how to combat demonic, the demonic propaganda machine. We, we need to be people who pray. We don't fear the truth. We um, resist toxic expressions of power. We advocate for human governments that advance rights for all people. And lastly, we worship Jesus. We worship Jesus. If there's nothing else you hear in Revelation, that is what it is. At the center of Revelation is the Lamb on the throne, and He is glorious and beautiful. And He is going to bring justice. And as followers of the Lamb, He must be on the throne of our life. Not a particular political ideology or national ideology, but the Jesus gospel view of life. And what the gospel does, it is a view, it is a system of thought whereby the Lamb, God Himself, the all-powerful one, the one righteous one, comes in and takes the form of a lamb. A lamb in the place of the lion. A lamb who was slain. Jesus gives up power on the cross, embraces death so that all who look to Him have the realization of eternal flourishing in life. That is the center. It's not, it's not an ideology detached from the world. It is an incarnation bringing these convictions, bringing this gospel truth into reality. And our response, hear me, what Revelation is doing, it's unveiling for us the world as it is, and what this compels us to do is to look at the Lamb and to wholly embrace Him. And then in wholly worshiping Him, wholly embracing Him, then we embrace our role in the world to love and serve and protect others. Revelation is saying all is not as it seems. Behind the forces of evil and destruction of the world is dark side demonic forces. And we are placed here to combat it combat it. To combat it by resisting the urge to use power to promote self and finding our security in Christ to lay down our lives in the service and love of other people. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you that you are a God who incarnates. You just don't exist with views detached from life as it is, but you incarnate your truth through your Son, through our Lamb, God, may He be central to our life. May He be the foundation, the centerpiece on the throne, not any Western ideology, not a capitalistic ideology or a Marxist ideology. All of those, they, we will not find salvation there. May we find our salvation in the Lamb who was slain.
And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.